Defining Connection Economy Radio. This is Tribe FM. Right, here we are, and we're on episode number seven of our 12-part series on the updated power of free post-COVID. Mr. Stephen Barnes, I think we're on disruption. Hit it. Well, you know, um, if there's ever been the paradigmatic uh, instance of disruption really coming into play, uh, COVID-19 is the catalyst to that end, right? Mm. Um, in 2015, when I was talking about um, the power of free for the first time publicly um, in Hong Kong, uh, I was, you know, uh, talking specifically, I led off that presentation specifically with uh, uh, Joseph uh, Schumpeter, who coined the phrase um, creative destruction. And, and what he sort of meant by that, he was in a sort of, you know, 19th century Austrian economist from that school, you know. Mm. And uh, what he meant by that was, uh, or he described creative destruction as the process of industrial mutation that incessantly revolutionizes the economic structure from within, incessantly destroying the old one, incessantly creating a new one. And that was clearly paradigmatic in 2015 because, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, I, I sound... I, I sounded like the uh, the monkey and not the organ grinder when uh, I was giving that presentation, you know, all those five years ago. But um, you know, as we've discussed previously, my turb my crystal ball apparently was turbocharged, and uh, um, I knew that uh, disruption would inevitably present itself in such a way as to be um, creating the well, sort of the connection economy future. But uh, no one could have ever anticipated it was going to take the form of a pandemic in the guise of COVID. Mm. Yeah, as we've said before, it was the catalyst, huh? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then, and then you know, Clay, Clay Christensen, um, one of my other intellectual heroes, sort of moved on from that and uh, coined, the the, coined the phrase creative disruption. Um, and creative disruption was essentially an appreciation that uh, the ongoing process of changing from one to another occurs as a result of typically newcomers coming into the frame that approach the marketplace differently. For the most part, um, start their market uh, entry activities through um, competing against uh, non-consumption. That is all of those customers that have sort of, in a sense, been left behind because of the industrial behemoth producing products and services that are designed for the average consumer rather than the, the specific consumer, sort of the outlier. Mm. Um, yeah, so you would then sort of turn your attention to a particular segment of the market that might be um, not commanding the highest prices, uh, typically, uh, that uh, have been left behind because they've just sort of fallen into the too hard basket or otherwise just um, not readily been sort of anticipated that they need to be serviced and therefore sort of young upstarts such as, uh, in my case, the Hong Kong Visa Centre could come in and into the Hong Kong immigration services market 
uh, and recognize that, you know, of the entire market pie, 85% of the market was being served by the big industrial behemoths and uh, 15% of the market, which was the industrial, uh, excuse me, the individual immigration services market. Most of these people were being left um, to sing for the supper in terms of being able to access immigration advice. Um, I knew that there were, you know, four or five different types of individuals in Hong Kong who were simply not getting their questions answered and not being able to connect with somebody efficiently via the web to help them solve those very real problems that they were encountering. Mm. Um, so that allowed us to focus our very early efforts on uh, the individual immigration services market being only 15% of the market by value. Um, and we were kind of left to that. And I remember, oh, probably about four or five months into the project, uh, this would have been sort of 2013, give or take, Jason, yeah. Uh, we looked at our analytics and the big competitor, the big global competitor that we had, uh, who were based in New Jersey, they had been on our website and they'd been through every single page on our mm. website because you it said where they came from. Sure. So Martin and I said, well, yeah, they're looking at us. Let's see what happens next. Mm. But, you know, as Clay Christensen has coined it, you compete against non-consumption. They ignored us. They just carried on doing what they've always done. Uh, and in the meantime, we've gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. And we moved out of the mere, uh, if I can call it that, individual immigration services space, 15% of the market by value, into the corporate space through the addition uh, of our Hong Kong Visa Sherpa product proposition, which is designed purely for corporates, giving the corporate everything that they need to be able to uh, solve this immigrant, solve their immigration problems for free or for a rock bottom price by selling the kind of stuff that uh, our competitors have typically not recognized that they are selling nor um, configure themselves to be able to um, sell the kind of stuff that we sell. And lo and behold, um, after what has really been now seven, eight year runway, um, we ha we haven't met any competition whatsoever, even from our biggest you know global behemoth competitor. Mm. Okay, so yeah, disruption. Let's let's talk a little bit about disruption in um, some of the global players. I would think of Spotify and Netflix just off the top of my head in terms of disrupting an entire market globally. One being obviously the purchase of CDs and even LPs if one goes down that road um, to go to an online stream service where one price allows you to stream as much music as you want to. Um, and I would suppose that Apple's iPod and its iTunes was another disruptive way in CDs and that you could buy one song instead of having to buy the whole album, which again disrupted the music industry and they resisted and they resisted, but they couldn't fight the change because ultimately when customers were given the opportunity to get what they want, how they wanted it and when they wanted it, it was a no-brainer. Um, and I would say the same for Netflix. Great amount of choice, one fixed price. If you're unhappy, cancel it right away. Um, and if we have a look now post-COVID and we have a look at, say, say we go back to our example of our tax expert, um, I don't think he would look at ways initially of disrupting where he previously worked. He would first and foremost be looking at how he can possibly earn an income 
and also how he can create some space in a niche that he knows how to be an expert in. How would he look beyond just breaking even to actually starting to disrupt? Obviously, he's got the opportunity. He's, he's got the advantages of not having huge corporate overheads, um, but then he doesn't have the marketing and all of the other money behind him to to go. So, how does he disrupt? The way that he disrupts is to recognise that uh, these days people begin their search for solutions to problems by typing something into the Google box. Mm. And um, if you know very well what the type of things are going into the Google box, you can address those particular queries that are being um, uh, searched for uh, and then provide uh, all the value that the searcher needs to be able to get to the bottom of that particular problem and win the relationship. Mm. Okay. That's how you disrupt. Okay, so would and, you... Uh, to your would you say that the most important aspect that he has of his his proposition is uh, his ability to be on the internet and also uh, deliver his integrity and use that to knock off a bigger competitor? Correct, and it's a it's an arms race at the end of the day. Mm. It's an arms race that costs you nothing but you know intellectual armaments and the ability to learn a few new tricks to accord with how the connection economy works. Okay. Um, and you have you have incredible leverage over the industrial behemoths because <laughs> I love that word. As you say, they've well they've got all those they've got all those employees, they've got all those buildings, they've got all that, you know, overhead, they've got everything that they over time have come to understand that they need to be able to be economic actors. If you're you know, working through the prism of the industrial economy. But now that the industrial economy is effectively over and what you need to do is take up Don Tatscott's view of the world and recognize that eventually every every business is going to be an internet-based business, the question you have to ask is, well, what does that internet-based business actually look like? Hmm. And as I say, if you recognize that people are going looking for answers to questions that you know how to answer, and in the process you're able to garner people's attention because they can find you on Google and while they're on your website and you've helped them achieve, you know, the reasons that brought them to your web presence in the first place, uh, you've got the genesis of a relationship and, and that's how it's all about. So these days you could throw gazillions and gazillions and gazillions of dollars at trying to buy people's attention, um, but it's just... It's, you're on hiding to nothing. You don't need to incur those kinds of expenses. Right. Um, uh, all you need to do is, 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 is position yourself to be ready to be found when someone comes looking for you. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm going to tap into your vast knowledge, given that you're a man with a formal education. And, I'm gonna, and given that you've worked for some of the biggest uh, immigration consultancy practices in the world, I want you to try and help me understand if the behemoth had a look at every single aspect of your business, why didn't they take you seriously? Um, well, Claire Christensen basically talks about people being, or these organizations, being struck with something called innovator's dilemma. An innovator's dilemma is where you have always done one thing one way, 
you've built a really sizable business that's got a lot of powerful, agenda-driven, high-salaried actors who are all going to have their say um, that ultimately are not for changing. They're not for changing because it's too risky. If you've done something mm. one way all the time, and you know what your you know return on investment are, your internal rate of return is. Um, you won't win any 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 um, any prizes uh, or any promotions, I should say, if you come along and say, hey, you know what? Everything that we've been doing for the last thirty years has formed the foundation of our success and gives everybody predictable, you know, uh, salaries or dividends or however your compensation is calculated at the top end. Change it all up. No one's going to do that. Mm. And so the sort of the inertia, inertia, is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah, the inertia against change. I might be, um, I might be doubling up there with my uh, my descriptions, but I think you get my drift. Mm. The sheer, you know, continuation of, of of that which has always been done. They snowballed. And the way that industrial, well, industrial businesses have historically been set up in terms of you know the the pyramid type top down control. Um, interchangeable parts type uh, configuration to those businesses. Uh, Clay Christensen says that it's inevitable that these people, these organizations simply can't change. And what these businesses do is that they engage in, um, they don't engage in creative disruption, they engage in uh, sustaining innovations or efficiency innovations. Mm. And the sustaining innovation is kind of you do what you've always done, but uh, you basically add a few whistles and bells to it. Uh, the problem with sustaining innovations is that there's no there's no growth in that because you know whoever bought today yet yeah, today's model is not going to buy tomorrow's tomorrow they're not going to buy tomorrow's model. Mm. And then efficiency innovations is basically doing what you've always done but trying to do it cheaper, reduce the cost so that you can increase your margins that way. And again, the problem with with both of those. Uh, approaches to innovation is that they don't offer any growth and the industrial economy uh, ultimately was driven by sustaining and efficiency innovation innovations for the for, for the most part it's because CFOs with the advent of the invention of the Excel spreadsheet for the very first time were able to come up with all of these economic fiscal justifications for why you should carry on doing what you've always done and and, and having a, a good solid economic argument for the for the for the board to say no let's just let's just carry on doing what we've always done Let, let's not worry about this this interesting stuff that's going on in Hong Kong that's just that's just Stephen Barnes we know him oh that's just a personal blog type thing oh there's not much in that and um, there's nothing that could be said to be a competitive threat throughout how, all of this. So we're just going to sit pretty and do what we've always done. How much of that is arrogance rather than ignorance? Oh, it's probably a mixture of both. But for the for the most part, it's it, it's probably it's disrespectful, I think, for me to suggest that they're both arrogant and ignorant. I, I think if you just understand how organizations work and uh, the risks that are associated with change, um, People are not for changing. Organizations are not for changing. Mm. With the exception that if they didn't take you seriously, they wouldn't have had a look at every single page that you did. They would have just said, ah, well, it would have been, <laughs> yeah. it, it would have been negligent for them not to look at it, right? I mean, yeah, they, they have to have a look. 
they have to have a look and they have a look and they go, well, no, we don't have to worry about that. This is not going to represent any kind of competitive threat to us. And it doesn't, it, the business model doesn't, doesn't appear to be having any negative impact on, you know, the, the, the money that we earn around the world. So why worry about it? I can imagine so, a, yeah. an, a studio executive sitting somewhere talking to his friends about the day he had a million CDs in his office and said, Spotify, who's going to give a shit about right. that? <laughs> you know, you know. Uh -huh. and I think the other thing is, Jason, it's just a question. It's a question of the generation. You know, hmm. I, I've been doing what I've been doing for 27 years. All my colleagues of my cohort in immigration around the world, they've always, they've, they've been doing what they've been doing for 27 years. The difference between me and them is that they've been doing the same old thing for 27 years, whereas 10 years ago I decided, no, I'm not going to do the same old thing. I'm going to do things differently. And as we've, you know, discussed previously on your show so many times previously, the fact is that if you find something that works and you keep at it and you disaggregate and reaggregate value uh, and create the opportunity to win relationships ahead of your com your competition, you will win those relationships. If the, pro if the proposition is so compellingly good compared to what they've always done, um, they'll give you uh, they'll they'll, gi you'll gi they'll give you a shot at it, and that's basically what what what, what we've experienced. Okay, so then let's let's break down disruption into the sum of its parts in terms of when you decided to disrupt the market using your newly created business model. When you had a look at your competitors and said, okay, I can't compete with them with money because you had nothing. I can't compete with them with size because there's only me and Martin. How did you set about with a game plan to say, this is how I'm going to disrupt them and they don't stand a chance? Okay, so after the fact, you might say that I set out and said, I'm going to disrupt them so that they don't have a chance. But but actually, the DNA of intelligent content marketing was me coming out of almost bankruptcy, having had a business taken away from me, one, an immigration business taken away from me once previously because I was stupid. And I decided that what I was going to do was I was going to build the ability to create new relationships with people with immigration problems. And I was going to put my face all over it. So that was the starting proposition, really. And then increasingly building on the power of free, which you may recall I'd learned would be a winner mm. as a result of what I'd experienced between 96 and 2000 being the sort of the, the early making of me. Um, it was then a case of, right, let's build a Hong Kong visa handbook. We know that we will create relationships at some time or other as a result of this. We'll make efforts to try and drive traffic to that website by paying um, Google AdWords initially, that's how we did it, to get some early traction. Uh, and then once we had some traction like that, inevitably it was a case of, well, um, what do I need now to do to essentially not have to pay engineers with propellers in their heads to um, artificially drive traffic to our website uh, and not have to pay Google um, through their advertisements to drive traffic to our website? What? How can I... How can I corral and how can I command the natural dynamics of the internet as I understood it and was increasingly becoming to understand it in such a way so that ultimately old roads are going to lead to Rome and I'm going to have a proposition that's going to be so compellingly good 
that everybody will want to deal with me and not want to deal with my competitors. Mm. And that's ultimately how intelligent content marketing evolved, right? Just by going out looking for ways to do the same old thing in a very different fashion, knowing that what I was trying to do was to win those relationships and um, um, generate revenue, generate goodwill uh, in so far as I could. Um, create the opportunity to sort of amplify all of those activities through my knowledge of the internet, involving the constituent parts of intelligent content marketing. It evolved to that point where I can now look back and say, well, guys, I've been publishing on this stuff for 10 years now, and I've been telling the world how it works for, what, eight years, and I certainly released all the stuff for free on the internet in 2015, starting with The Power of Free, which ultimately went on to become the Encyclopedia of Intelligent Content Marketing. The fact is that my competition have, have, have been ignoring me because they didn't see me as a competitive threat. They probably didn't understand it for the mm. most part. Um, and, you know, here we are coming out of COVID, uh, the, the immigration services business has been decimated, Jason. Who, who's moving around the world with COVID? Nobody. Absolutely mm. nobody. So now, you turn us to my, my global competitors. They've all got practice, national practices which will you know, generate revenues for immigration activity that goes on nationally like we've been doing. We haven't been doing that much inbound recently, newly inbound, because of COVID. But all those people that are here, they need permanent residency, they need extensions, they need visas for the newborn children. They get married, so they need dependent visas. What's happened at this point in time where it's all gone to hell in a handbasket? All of these people that previously might have just looked for a, you know, a word of mouth referral from a mate of theirs, they've gone onto the web to look for a solution. And after 10 years, they come on our website and they go, bingo, this is the place where I need to go, and they don't go anywhere else. So my global competitors, in terms of their their practices in Hong Kong, uh, they don't get a look in. And they know that uh, uh, at least three of them have had to cut their staff right down to bare bones, right down to bare bones, because I keep getting I keep getting requests from their ex-employees if I've got roles for them. Hmm. You see, now I can appreciate that hindsight uh, is obviously great vision, but it also gives you the ability to label everything that you've done, all right? But if I look at it from an outside perspective, and obviously over the years that we've chatted about intelligent content marketing, what I've come to realize is that you've used all of these different strategies and you were doing them innately. So you said, okay, how can I de-risk it for somebody? Therefore, you um, obviously um, give you a double your money back guarantee. How can anybody compete with free my competitors cannot compete with free, therefore I'm going to put content on the internet and I'm going to ask as many questions as I can and therefore create, uh, sorry, answer as many questions as I can and thereby create more and more and more content. All of these things that you've labeled since then as the steps that you took, you must have sat at some po a point with Martin and said, okay, this is who our competitors are. This is how they operate. For us to survive and set up this business with next to nothing, we need to use the tools that are available to us that are almost free and therefore build a business. But there must have been more to it than that. You must have known using emotion marketing and all of those things, how you were going to disrupt them. The first thing that I can say is that both Martin and I know the Hong Kong immigration customer because we've been doing it for so long. 
Okay. So because we know the immigration customer, all we need to do is to put ourselves in the shoes of the customer and say, right, okay, I'm looking for an answer to this particular immigration problem that I've got. Okay. I'm going to search this question into Google, and I'm going to hope that Google gives me what really is the best possible outcome that I could hope for against this particular thing that I'm looking for a solution to. Okay, can I stop you and, for one second? And, and we built that. Okay, so what what I'd like to try and get to is these are the steps. But if if this is about disruption, how did you view what you were going to do as a comparison to what your competitors do? Because ultimately, you're disrupting the market. Well, yeah. So what we did is we went about using the internet in an interesting way to create new relationships. That's mm -hmm. how we disrupted the market. Okay. Um, and the business model, the industrial economy business model that all our competitors have been using and continue to use is exactly the same business model that I left behind in 1996. Mm. Okay, so they, they basically just have a presence on the web and you can see what they do, then you contact them and then the process starts. It's brochureware. Uh -huh. it's brochureware. Okay. So, you know, somebody's got a, somebody, wants, somebody wants to know how to change their status from an employment visa to a business investment visa as an entrepreneur. You type into you type into Google. How do I change my immigration status from en from employment visas to business investment visas and entrepreneur? All you're going to get, apart from our websites, is other immigration consultants saying I can help you. Well, that's well. How 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 does that actually help the person who's doing the uh, the searching? What it does is it says, oh, this is somebody that you can contact who might be able to help you solve this problem. Mm. Well, we just jumped in front of all of that with everything that one could possibly need to be able to solve that problem without needing to look anywhere else. And if it just so happens through the journey of discovery that you decide that actually I want to have some help, then mm. you know you win you you win by extension and you win by default because you know they want to deal with the author of this material and they don't want to well they they, they just don't go off looking anywhere else. Mm. Um, and interestingly, you, you raised that because just before I came in to speak to you, I had a meeting with a client who gave us instructions. And uh, it, for us, it's cookie cutter, straightforward, run of the mill. We do 20, 30, 30 scenarios like this every single year. It's good business. And he told, I asked him, I said, how did you find us? He said, well, I, I eventually found you on Google. He said, but I did ask around and I had a couple of conversations with local guys. But the local guys were just interested in, you know, telling me how, well, how much money I needed to pay and on how difficult it was going to be. Uh, and they weren't actually positioning themselves in any way, seeking to truly understand you know, what my situation is exactly uh, and give me the answers that I need exactly so that I can make informed decisions. Well, because I know the marketplace, I know exactly what's going on between his ears. And so we've acquitted ourselves through our entire proposition to give him that. And part and parcel of that is that we don't try and sell anything. We simply take every available opportunity that we've got either by consuming content on the web or by spending time with them on the telephone or if they come in to see me and we have a whiteboard session all i'm interested in doing is telling them how to solve that problem what's involved so they can make informed decisions 90 percent of the time jason they say great i want you to do it for me can you give me a quote certainly i can this is exactly how much it's going to cost and because we only take on cases that we think we can get approved i'll give you a w money back guarantee mm. bang done Okay, and if we go back to our um, tax consultant and we, yeah. we, we understand um, that he's going to be 
trying to put himself in the shoes of his prospective customers. How does he initially compete with big people with a proven track record if he's competing against the big four accounting firms or anything like that? What's, what's his, what's his strategy? Well, remember, yeah, well, remember, none of this is about technical excellence. If you're an expert, it's a given that you're technically expert oh. at what you do, right? Okay. So you don't, have to, you don't have to compete on technical excellence. You've got to compete on giving the customer, giving the person that's got the problem everything that they need to be able to make an informed decision about the nature of the problem, how to solve the problem, and if they need professional help, where can they find that professional help? And how can that professional help be accessed in such a way that it's irresistible for them to transact with you rather than going to your competitors? Okay. And given that the nature of your business in particular and um, other businesses that will start using intelligent content marketing as the basis of growing their businesses, how do you continue to keep it personal but also scaling it oh well that's straightforward you tell your you tell your, your business story on an ongoing basis you sell your personal story you only have to do it once with a few updates every now and again mm. um produce foundation content that gives people kind of everything that they need to be able to go about solving those problems without paying for any professional help um and then asking your the visitors to your website to ask you particular questions that are you know detailed down to them that you can publish with you know a few sort of anonymization activities to make sure that you can protect the identity of those people that are asking you the questions so that gets added to your content pool and you map the knowledge graph further and you found that you know you're able to be found uh, more widely and more easily as a result of that hmm. and one last question before we wrap up can every business be disrupted absolutely 100 percent. you would, would hmv 20 years ago asked them that question was, what are you talking about <laughs> uh-huh. very true good sir very true absolutely what fascinating there you go it, true there was one left thank you I good remember sir. the ipod a thousand songs in your pocket mm. that was the beginning of the end it, it, yeah until they decided to put it all on your telephone Right, but the the idea that you could carry effectively your entire library plus Mm -hmm. in a little device in your pocket that had 10 hours of battery time and was always able to entertain you, that that was the game changer. From then it was just a question of how it was all going to evolve leading to Spotify and iTunes and the rest. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you very much, sir. We shall catch up next time. What are we talking about in our next session, number eight? Oh, what are we up to next week, next time? Oh, the new era of marketing. Yeah, this is kind of like the history of marketing. It it, it actually flows naturally from what we've been discussing now. So I look forward to doing that with you, sir. I hope you're going to break out a little bit of Caldini.